Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. Good morning. My name is Liz, and I just lost the mic out of my pocket. Okay, this morning, we're going to play a little game. It's called Raise Your Hand If. I made it up, so... Um, I'm going to show you a few pictures on the screen, and you're going to raise your hand if one of these images causes you anxiety, <laughs> okay? Do you already feel anxiety about the, the game? <laughs> uh, they're not too terrible, but um, <laughs> we're going to play. So go ahead, show the first one. Is it? Does it cause you any little sense of anxiety? Just a few of us, okay. <laughs> okay, okay, number two. Pretend like you're driving behind them, yeah, okay. Wow, there was some immediate responders there. <laughs> uh, number three. Anybody? Oh, yeah, the designers. Okay, okay. Next one. Oh, uh, okay, okay. All right, I think, I think I have one more. Anxiety. Something's wrong there. <laughs> Something is not okay. One more. Oh, fail. Ugh, when my kids do that, you know, it's just. So when we, when, these are a little bit uh, funny, but um, when, you know, we're presented with anxiety, anxious situations, our brains have, like, automatic modes that we go into, right? We kind of have these natural responses and reactions that, that happen. Sometimes you might choose a path of avoidance, right? Are you really good at avoiding anxiety? Like you're just trying to get rid of it, run away from it. Maybe you think, if I can just numb out on something, like get me home from this stressful day, I'm going to turn on Netflix, get some ice cream, and just pretend like it all doesn't exist. <laughs> and it might bring you some relief for an hour or two at best, you know, if you binge, maybe a few more hours. But then, what? The stress just continues, right? We didn't eliminate the stress and anxiety. Or you might choose a path of fixing. You know, I'm, I often choose a path of fixing, but I don't like to receive it <laughs> on the other end, right? Uh, this is like, you know, uh, maybe something is wrong and you're going to try to investigate and figure out the best possible way to make it go away, right? Maybe like if I have a health ailment, I will do the bad thing and turn to Google, right? And before you know it, by the end of the night, I know what it is, I know the treatment, and most likely it's fatal, right? And that just increases the anxiety sometimes. Um, maybe you choose like humor, you know, you kind of just deflect anxiety by trying to lighten the mood and just hope that, you know, if you can just change the atmosphere, then it'll just kind of melt away the anxiety. Or maybe you sometimes choose a path of 
reactivity, right? Where you just give into it, right? There's so many things bubbling below the surface that you just can't contain it anymore. And what happens? You just let it flow. Maybe you get, you snap, uh, you just get short, you yell, you get frustrated, you let the anxiety kind of bubble over. Have you been there? Yeah, me. I've been there a lot. <laughs> so we're, we've been on this sermon series um, called Fulfilled, where we are talking about the good, beautiful, kind God. And we, just to summarize, these are three things that our soul longs for and three realities of God's presence, that he is good, that he is beautiful, and he is kind. But we've also talked about three um, things that war against us in the world, and that is sin, powers and principalities, and trauma. These things are warring against us to take us away from the beautiful, kind, good God. And so we've talked about three different choices of leading us back to God's presence, leading us back to the wholeness of God. And we've talked about contemplative prayer. We've talked about lowering the walls of our hearts that just want to defend and surround us, right? And then today we're going to talk about becoming a calm presence and not choosing the path of reactivity, which is super easy to choose. <laughs> Becoming a calm presence is really about centering ourselves on the presence of Jesus as we go about our lives. You know, if you've said yes to following Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you, right? His presence is in you, but he wants us to bring him with us throughout life, with us in our days. So, you know, I, I was meditating on this uh, message this week, and I felt like that's what Jesus told me. He was like, you know, Liz, I am in you, but I want to go with you, right? That's, that's different. It's, it's, it's one thing having Jesus in us, and it's another thing like activating his presence in our day, right? I can go through the day anxious and busy and la da 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 before I take a moment to center on Jesus. But Jesus actually wants to go with us from our waking to our sleeping, from working to dreaming, from planning and executing. He wants, us, he wants to go with you from sinning to forgiving, from your anxiety to your emotions and all those things. He wants to be our anchor through all those things. And it takes our intentionality to focus on the presence of Jesus. You know, the world has always needed a calm presence. But I think even more in the landscape that we live in today, right? The division, the tension, the echo chambers that we live in, we need to be a calm presence. We need to bring Jesus' calm presence with us. We live in times of super, super high anxiety. And we're not immune to it. Okay, in 1997, anybody a fan of Leanne Rimes? 
This is a little bit before my time, but I do remember this song. She wrote a song called, How Do I Live? Anybody know that song? How do I live? Okay, so we're going to see those of you that raised your hands, how well you know the song, okay? <laughs> I am going to say a few of the lines, and I will cue you in when it's time for you to tell me if you can tell me the next line, okay? How do I get through one night without you? If I had to live without you, what kind of life would that be? Oh, I, I need you in my arms, need to hold, need you to hold. You're my world, my heart, my soul. If you ever leave, well, baby, you would take away everything good in my life. And tell me now, how do I live without you? How do I live without you? No, no one got it. No. How do I live without you? I want to know. How do I breathe without you? If you ever go. How do I ever, ever survive? How do I, how do I, oh, how do I live? All right, you guys need to read up on that one, okay? <clears throat> okay, now fast forward. We're going to get the current generation, see what they know. A more recent tune, Selena Gomez called Cut You Off, okay? I'm going to read some uh, the verses, and you can tell me if you guys know it. There's only a few of the young people here, so I'm calling on you. Pull up to the mirror, staring at my face. Got to chop, chop all the extra weight. I've been carrying for 14, 60 days. Got to, got to, got to clean my slate. And I might as well just tell you while I'm drunk, yeah, the truth is that I think I've had enough professionally messing with my trust. How could I confuse that blank for love? So I got to get you out of my head now. I just got to cut you off. No one. <laughs> you, you out of my head now, okay? I don't overthink it. I just carry on. Get you out of my head now. I just cut you off. You can read up on that one, too. It is catchy, though. I did listen to it this week. <laughs> um, these are just like extreme examples of how we deal with relationships in society, okay? So Leanne Rhymes, she's singing a song about really fusing into another person, right? She cannot live without whoever. And you become so close with somebody that you kind of abandon your own sense of self, right? You, you abandon your own ideas or opinions or boundaries, all for the sake of remaining connected and close with somebody. Then you go to Selena, and she's just cutting people off, right? So that is the idea of, like, I matter, you know, I'm going to assert myself so much that if anybody is, you know, in disagreement or um, doesn't vibe with me, I am just going to cut them off, right? Because establishing and protecting yourself is more important than staying connected with somebody that disagrees with you. Now, these are extremes, right? But neither one of them 
lead to wholeness. And the thing about becoming a calm presence and why it's difficult is because it is a skill set that says we need to remain close to ourselves in our own values and boundaries. We need to remain close to another person without forsaking any of either one of those, staying connected to both in the midst of anxiety and discomfort. And that's a difficult relational skill. But that is how we truly love one another. And that's what Jesus calls us to. He says, you know, love me with all your heart, mind, and soul. Let me be the first and foremost object of your affection. And then love yourself as you love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the only way you can do those things is by centering on Jesus, keeping uh, a connectedness with yourself and a connectedness with your neighbor, with another person. Because it's not always going to be uh, agreeing and butterflies and happy. We as people are going to cause some discord. And now, just to be clear, I'm not like suggesting stay connected to abusive relationships, um, manipulation, hostile relationships. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is stay connected to others even in the midst of discomfort and anxiety because that is the situation of being neighborly with each other, right? When people don't agree, when... Um, when you think differently about subjects, when people annoy you, <laughs> when they don't think like you, they're not like you. We can be okay because our centeredness is Jesus. We can remain a calm presence because our centeredness is Jesus. Now there's two leaders um, I'm going to highlight here in the Old Testament named Aaron and Moses. Now, Moses was chosen by God to uh, lead the people of Israel out of slavery. They were being oppressed by the Egyptians. And God said, I'm choosing you to lead these people to a promised land. And you're going to journey through the wilderness for a little while. I'm going to test you in the wilderness. It's going to be hard, right? And so Aaron is his right-hand man. And they are in the wilderness for 40, day, 40 years and during that time, Moses would go up on the mountain and meet with God. And he was up there for an extended amount of time, 40 days, when he was receiving um, like direct, clear instructions from God about how the Israelites were to live. And during Moses' absence, the people of Israel got really anxious, right? They were not okay with Moses taking so long on the top of this mountain. And they were worried and anxious. And you know what happens about anxiety among people groups, right? Among groups of people, it spreads. It spreads like a virus, right? Often um, research says like the lowest emotional response gets the most attention. And that just starts to spread. You can only imagine there's a lot of Israelites and all that anxiety is just spreading and they don't know what to do. And so they take it to Aaron because he's not on the mountain. He's still there. And they go to Aaron 
and they beg him to make a physical idol that they could worship because they're tired of waiting and they're too anxious and they can't handle themselves. And what's interesting is that God had recently given them a command, don't make for yourself any idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. They knew that, but they still begged Aaron to make this idol. And Aaron decides to bend to the demands and the anxiety of the people. He folds into their anxiety, and he makes them uh, a golden calf. And this was totally not okay with God. He sends Moses down from the mountain to, to handle the situation because that's a breach of the covenant of the relationship, that God was their one true God. And so Moses, he confronts Aaron. And this is what Aaron does. He just deflects the blame again on the people. And this is what he says. Don't get so upset, my Lord. You, you yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it in the fire and out came this calf. A real childish response, Aaron, okay? He was the one that was like, collect, you know, give me all your gold jewelry. You know, I'd take my earrings out. They're not real gold. And I would give them to Aaron. And then he just threw them in the fire and out came this calf. Well, no, he made the calf with the gold. You don't just uh, miraculously get a gold idol. But he was very emotionally mature. He bent to the anxiety of the people. And when you bend to anxiety, you cannot respond out of a place of discernment and truth. Right? We when we bend to anxiety, we're just trying to minimize the effects of that in our system, and we often act impulsively, reactively, right? Staying connected to Jesus by, to be a calm presence doesn't mean that all the feelings and discomfort of anxiety just immediately disappear. But what we do with anxiety is we notice like a little like beeping in our system like, oh, okay, something is going on and I need to reorient around Jesus and around truth. So come to a more current example in the New Testament. Um, the Jews are now being oppressed by a, a different enemy. It's the Romans. And when Jesus comes on the scene, everyone has an, an agenda for Jesus, right? There's a lot of anxiety still, you know, continuing in society. And they want him to fix all of the problems. They want him to overthrow the powers that be. And, um, you know, they have expectations for him. And you can see, in, there's all these stories where people are bringing their expectations to him, bringing their anxieties to him, trying to trap him, trying, trying to do anything to figure out who is this guy and what is he up to. And Jesus never bent to the crowds and to the people. 
He only did what his father told him to do. He didn't, he didn't react to the demands of the people. And because of that, he was able to bring the kingdom through each and every interaction he had. He was able to bring freedom and wholeness to individuals. When, when people disagreed with him, he didn't retaliate. Right? When he was betrayed, he still stayed connected and loved other people. He didn't respond in revenge. He's our Savior. He knows perfectly how to stay connected to his Father in the midst of the anxiety. He was a gentle, calm presence that, showed, that shows us the way of truth. So there is this short but profound interaction between Jesus and his mother in John 2. Okay? Mary, the mother of Jesus, is at a wedding. Okay? And Jesus and his disciples are also invited to this wedding. And the wine at the wedding runs out. And for a Jewish family, this is super dishonorable for that to happen. We can't quite relate to the faux pas that it is, but it is a cultural blunder for the wine to run out. It brings shame upon the family. And I don't know exactly how Mary was connected to this wedding party, um, but she could have been, uh, you know, it could have been extended family or something. She's worried about this situation. So maybe it was going to bring her shame as well, or maybe she was just concerned about the shame of the family. We're not exactly sure, but she's anxious about this situation. She is worried. And she brings her concerns to Jesus, her son. She says, they have no more wine, <laughs> as an anxious mother would, right? But I also imagine that there is some kind of growing anxiety bubbling below the surface for Mary as well. Because she has raised Jesus, okay? Jesus is an adult now. She has raised him. She knows uh, the call of her son. She knows the prophecy. She knows what his life is supposed to be, right? And throughout his growing up years, he was just like a normal kid right? He didn't show his Jesus side quite yet, right? And so there's this growing anxiety of like, when are you going to come on the scene, Jesus? Like, when are you going to do it? When are you going to start the miracles? When are you going to start the things like he knows, she knows that he can do? Um, and I, I would imagine that she's expecting that the time is like now, like it's, it's, it's going to happen because he, John the Baptist happened and he started calling and recruiting his disciples, his first disciples, because they were there at the wedding with him. And so there's this growing anxiety as the mother of Jesus, like, now's the time, Jesus, you can do it. You can, you can, you can help us all. You know, the agenda of the mother of Jesus is strong. And now seems to be the great time to like, like burst forth on the scene and save the people of Israel and of the Jews and make it all happen. But this is what Jesus says. He says, dear woman, that's not our problem. 
Now, he's not using woman as like a woman. He, it's like a sa- same kind of term as like mother. It's a, it's a loving term. So he's like, dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus is not taking on uh, the burden of someone else, right? But he's staying connected to Mary, loving her and sensitive to her. And he says to her, my time has not yet come, meaning the time of the cross, right? He knows like as soon as he starts his public ministry and miracles, man, the time clock is, is counting down for him to be arrested and crucified. It is just, it will happen fast. And so he's telling her, it's not time for that yet. Because the will of the Father was that it wasn't time for that yet. There was, right now, it was time for his kingdom to multiply in small ways with people so that there would be this kingdom movement happening before the time of the crucifixion. The Father's will was to form people, to bring him, bring people to himself, to bring revelation before the time of the crucifixion. And so then Mary has to come to terms with her anxieties and her agenda for her son. And even in that, that time of, um, of Jewish culture, like it was expected that uh, a, a child would honor their parents and obey their parents. And the, t- the, the thing is kind of turning right now. And Mary has to come to terms with Jesus is somebody that she needs to submit to as only God tells Jesus what to do, the will of the Father. And so instead of hurling her anxieties on him even more, she says, okay, Jesus, servants, do whatever he tells you. She backs down. She surrenders to Jesus and lets him do it his way because the Father said, it's not time yet, but I will do this miracle because you submitted to me, because you surrendered to me. That was the key that unlocked this miracle, and he does it quietly. And what happens? The disciples are strengthened in faith, and that's what the Father wanted at that time. And so there is this this interaction of high anxiety, and you can see that Jesus stays connected to the will of his Father. Mary surrenders and submits, and a miracle happens. And there are able to stay a calm presence. Jesus doesn't shapeshift to everybody that comes to him with the anxieties, right? He's able to stay completely centered on the will of his Father. And Mary chooses Jesus instead of her anxiety. It's a pro- it, there's like so many layers to this interaction, but I wanted to just pull out that one. So as we consider, okay, how do we become calm, a calm presence? How do we stay Jesus-centered and take him with us into all areas of our life? There are three actions I want to leave you with. And that is first to become curious. Become curious what goes on with you 
throughout the week, what goes on in your mind and your body, and just how you are. You know, we would do that for a friend. We would do that for a child. We would say, you know, like, it, it seems like you're troubled or you're tense or you're stressed, right? How do we do that for ourselves and have self-compassion to say, you know, I'm agitated. You know, I feel tense and stressed. I notice, like, I'm responding short with my family or with my coworkers. I'm, I'm having a hard time sleeping. Just becoming curious about your own patterns. So what's going on? What's going on with you? I lost my other page, but that's okay. <laughs> Recognize the message. Oftentimes, we, we do those, uh, those journeys that I talked about in the beginning where we minimize, we deflect it, we try to numb out, and so we don't even realize the real message that's going on under the surface, the real often lie that we are believing. So maybe, you know, you, know, you take some time, you realize like, oh yeah, I'm stressed, I feel it in my body, I'm being anxious, what's the message? You know, I'm actually stressed about this, this, and this, and what do you believe about that? What's the message? Maybe you need to just open your phone and just take five minutes and jot down the things that you're believing. Maybe it's that you believe like nothing good can come of this situation. You ever believe that before? It's a lie. And sometimes we just need to recognize the message that we are playing on repeat in our mind because sometimes it's like it's subconscious. It's just happening. And then when you recognize the messages, you see it written out, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm believing I'm a victim to this situation, that nothing good can come of this situation. That's a lie. And you can respond with truth, right? You can respond with truth. You can, res you can go to Scripture. You can, you can say, Jesus, what do you believe about this message that I'm telling myself on repeat? And here's one that I go to when I'm believing that message, oh, nothing good can come of this situation. Psalm 23, 6, Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, that is what I want, the centeredness and presence of Jesus forever and his goodness and his love is chasing after you all the days of your life. Anchor in that truth, and then you can stay a calm presence. So Joe, would you come up? We're going to move into worship. We're going to move into the presence. How wonderful. There's nothing greater than the presence of Jesus. He can, he's the answer forever and ever. He's our anchor forever and ever and ever. There is, there is no more security or love that you're going to get to in heaven that you don't already have right now. It's just the actualization of it sometimes on our end that we don't understand. But we get to enter into the complete belovedness of Jesus. So let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful for your presence. We're thankful that you 
are the good, kind, and beautiful God that shows us the way, that shows us that we can let go of the craziness of the world and we can just focus on you. And you give us the centeredness to navigate it all. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you be with us in this worship? Would you allow our hearts to be soft and sensitive and moldable to you? We give you our worship. We give you our praise. We give you our everything. We surrender to you just like Mary did, your own mother. We surrender to you, Jesus, and we give you our all. We love you, Jesus. Amen. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, go to lifevineyard.org. Life Vineyard. .org. Oh, hey, you're still here. You're like one of my favorite people, the kind of person that like sticks around after church while everybody else has left. Like you're still one of the last ones talking. You're like the podcast version of that person. And while I have you here, uh, if you didn't know, this is Pastor Dan. Uh, well, I have you here. I just want to say, hey, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come to life if you're in the central Illinois area. If you're listening to this outside of central Illinois, go find a vineyard church. Vineyard churches are amazing places. Go find one near you. And if you're not near a vineyard church, then uh, just find a church, a community of believers that you can be involved with, be in community with. I think we are our best spiritual selves when we are in community with other people who are following Jesus. That's what the church is for. So we hope to see you here, and if not here, go find a community of believers that you can get involved with this week. All right, thanks for listening. See you later.